Hey everyone, it's Taylor and Brendan from Blue and Gold Make Darlene. They tell you about the Hockey Podcast Network. Goddamn right we are. You know, there's an entire network. It's not just Blue and Gold Make Darlene. There's 31 podcasts, one for every NHL team. From terrible, horrible teams like the Boston Bruins to some of the best teams in the league like the Buffalo Sabres. Absolutely. And with that being said, if it's a terrible team or if it's a great team, no matter what, you are able to get two episodes a week from all of the hosts. New episodes come out every Monday and Thursday with new content covering everything from the latest that's going on with everyone's respective teams all the way through to doing more fun things like the many trivia games that Taylor and I have on our show. That's right. Hot content, hot takes, hot hosts. Hot hosts. You got it everywhere. Uh, and you you can find them pretty much anywhere you find your podcast. Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spotify. Stitcher, if you're one of those weirdos like me that uses Stitcher. You use even, Stitcher? I do. Strange. I think I'm the only one who does. Okay. And even at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com if you're looking for some more info. There's a whole website that's that you right. could go check hey, out. Maybe it's getting to that point of the season where you're getting sick of the Sabres. I know some of us are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this again. West Coast uh, trip is about to be tough. Maybe you want to check in on some of your other favorite teams if you're one of those kind of guys. Absolutely. Well, they're all available and they're all easy to find. Gosh darn right. So be sure to check out the Hockey Podcast Network once again at their website at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. And be sure to follow on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. What's up, everybody? We are back for another episode of Blue and Gold Make Darlene as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And as we had said on our uh, quote-unquote last regular season episode of the year, uh, we wanted to come back and have a little chat, just the two of us, and kind of recap, really, everything that happened this year. Um, you know, give our take where things go a little bit more of, I guess, like a broken down, uh, version of yeah. last week's episode or two weeks ago, I should say. Yeah. I, so like, yeah, we mentioned the regular season quote unquote is over, uh, from our perspective. And so we, we won't be doing weekly podcasts and we probably won't be doing many for a little while just because it's not clear when something is going to happen for the Sabres again. Right. We'll be there right. when it does, but the draft and free agency, it looks like that's months away. And so, so yeah, well, this is kind of a putting a bow on the first season. Right. Wow, what a season it was. Uh, ninth season in a row without the playoffs. One of five teams in NHL history to do that, pull off that feat. Uh, they, this current playoff skid, we should also add, is um, before this happened, like this nine-year skid, uh, right now this is three times as long as our franchise's, like, previous like longest uh, playoff drought before we hadn't gone more than three seasons without a playoff drought and now we are on season nine so let, let, or let's just put that into even further perspective for how bad that is yeah and i also like to point out that part of the reason they had a three-year playoff drought there was because the uh owners went to jail yeah right for committing fraud or whatever they did they ran a, a public company like it was a private company you know, fancy tech, uh, you know, finance stuff that I don't know about. But anyway, yeah. that's the only reason that it happened. Uh, they had two years or two different two-year periods, and that was it. Now nine. And nine is really hard to do in hockey with how much parity there is. You have to try to, like, miss. Like, that's yeah. terrible. It's insane. Uh, and now that they're doing it with, you know, Eichel coming into his own, not more than coming into his own, Eichel being one of the best players in the league and Dalene coming into his own. And, you know, 
we've talked about that. Well, this is what happened. The second year in a row, they had a hot start. They were 9-2-1 and one in late October. After that, overall, they went 21-29-7. and seven. Oh. So they were better than maybe – they were definitely better than Detroit. And, but after that 9-2-1 and one stretch, they were about as good as Ottawa and New Jersey. So that's, you know, concerning in a lot of ways. Putting it lightly. Uh, immediately after being 9-2-1, and one, they had a 1-7-2 and two skid. And this was a big th- uh, theme of the year. They were kind of inconsistent, maddeningly inconsistent. And that came out usually on the side of more bad than good. Right. Uh, so they would kind of piece together wins and kind of stay in the playoff picture, stay like around the eight seed, uh, you know, whatever, and stay ahead of Montreal and stuff. But then they went 3-8-1 and one in a skid in December, culminating in a blown three-goal lead on New Year's Eve, the Tucks and Pucks game. And then they – kind of just treaded water until the deadline and didn't really know what to do. They actually kind of a hot streak before then. And they kind of sold, but not really anyone they're going to miss that much. And then they lost six in a row after the deadline, won one game in a shootout, and then a, a global pandemic stopped the season. So here's a couple other things that happened. They started the year with Vladimir Sabaka, maybe the worst player in the NHL, on the second line with their $9 million winger Jeff Skinner. Tage Thompson, who was the prospect, the big prospect in the deal, Ryan O'Reilly, played one period of one game and was out for the season. They basically had him. He at least did look all right in Rochester, though, before. He did. That is. They they basically had like six to eight weeks of him, like not getting surgery. Yep. And then they're like, ah, just get surgery. Season's over. Casey Middlestat, uh, eighth overall pick from a couple years ago. His draft plus three year, he had nine points in 31 games and had to be sent down to Rochester. Zach Bogosian played at all. Colin Miller was often scratched uh, in favor of guys like Zach Bogosian, whereas Jake McCabe, who had struggled uh, on the first pairing for a little while, didn't sit at all. Uh, Jeff Skinner, after getting paid $9 million, both got hurt and scored 14 goals and 23 points in more than 50 games. Connor Sheary, who wasn't a huge prize, but someone they traded for to be a contributor, nine goals in 55 games and traded at the deadline. Marco Scandella, who had a stunning comeback, good comeback here, uh, all of a sudden looked like a valuable piece. They had too many defensemen. What did they do? They traded him for a fourth-round pick that they flipped for Michael Furleek. And then he was flipped two months later for a second-round pick. Michael Furleek, meanwhile, I think had one goal. They did not trade Rasmus Ristolainen. <laughs> Carter Hutton, after starting 6-0 and with about a 950 save percentage, finished the year at 898, despite playing... I was going to say we later found out that he was uh, legally blind, too, during half the season. Yep, yeah. Couldn't see, which, you know, no shit. Um, Skinner and Olofsson both got hurt in the same week, taking out two of the four people on the team that could score a goal. Uh, They had some of the worst special teams in the league on both penalty kill and the power play, and they're bringing back their assistant coaches. Lawrence Pilot inexplicably sat in Rochester, again, or sat in the press box, didn't play big minutes when he was here, but again – Looks solid, definitely looked like one of their six best defensemen, and so fed up with all this, he left and signed in Russia in the KHL. Dalene briefly got hurt earlier in the year, playing Tampa with a, a dirty play by Eric Cernak. Uh, no one stood up for him at the time, so they brought in Dalton Smith, a career AHLer, who was on a one-way AHL contract, gave him an NHL contract, had him come in for one game. He played less than two minutes in that game, got in a fight, didn't matter. They still blew that lead. That was a New Year's Eve game. 
That seems like uh, it could have been like three years ago at this point. Yeah, seriously. So some off the ice thing. Uh, there's a lot of complaints among season ticket holders that their seats aren't in good shape. They have been reupholstered maybe since the play started. Different things in the arena make it a bad kind of game day experience. The best symbol of all this was the guy tweeting that a bird had shit on his seat. Uh, they ran out of paper towels. People complained about that. Different things in the bathrooms. Uh, broken sinks. Uh, they had uninspired theme nights, as usual, even though this was an anniversary season. They when it wasn't their anniversary. Oh, that's a big thing, too. The, Vancouver did this, too. They were so scared of having a lockout that they made their 50th anniversary season their 49th season during their 49th anniversary, which, like, if you think about it, well, they just did a 40th anniversary season nine years ago. And you could say this was their 50th season if there wasn't a, a huge, uh, season-long lockout in 2004, 2005. Right. So it's their 49th season and their 49th anniversary. It made no sense at all. Uh, but they want to do, you know, they're scared of the lockout, so they did it anyway. Their, their team nights weren't great. They didn't get great attendance for some of these, especially their 90s night, was missing, like, all the best players of the 90s. And then they spelled a bunch of guys' names wrong, including Mike Robitaille, who not only played for them but worked for – he worked their TV broadcast for I don't know how long, decades. And Dave Andertruck, their second-leading scorer of all time. One of the only Hall of Fame forwards to play more than a couple of years for the team. Uh, both pretty embarrassing. Uh, then, when the pandemic hits, they, like many companies, they had to lay off a lot of their restaurant staff so those people could collect unemployment. Right. But instead of being like, yeah, you'll just get your jobs back when this is over, they said people were going to have to reapply for their jobs, would not get their vacation or benefits back, and would not necessarily be hired back at the same pay. And we found out a little bit more about that. About a month later, Big Athletic piece drops. Sabres had fired a good number of people, including yep. Chris Mandura, other head of communications, one of their ticket guys. A, a, a lot of very Communications have since not improved also. Still foot in the mouth after foot in the mouth, yeah. Yeah, still not good. Uh, and then it basically was revealed that they are having enormous financial problems tied both to the Was that technically revealed, though? Well – more than it's more so implied, I feel like. I think that's yeah, important. it's a because picture I, that they're coloring in because everyone, any, anyone who's in the hospitality industry, which they are now, and the pro sports industry and the restaurant industry is having a tough time. Yeah. They have a bunch of businesses with huge overhead, not doing well. But in the piece, it kind of laid out like that their music label is kind of a failure. They had a marketing agency that they had to fire everyone. And the, the reason that is, I think it's more or less proven is that they have capped their oil wells. True. They tried to do too much at once. Yeah. And the same time that the oil market was going bust. So all that happens. And now, like, you can't see the same. And it was also, I don't want to say implied or revealed, it was asserted in that piece that they're losing between 40 and $60 million every year on the Sabres. And now it seems that the Sabres, uh, you know, maybe aren't going to spend at the cap. But that leaves me to my last thing I want to leave you on. They missed the playoffs in a a season where 24 teams made the playoffs. In the GM's third season. In the GM's third season. And they're going to retain him because they literally can't afford to pay him to not work. Uh, One more thing there that I was thinking of. 75%, over 75% of the teams in the league made it. And we still didn't make it. 24 of 31. Uh, No, I forgot what the last thing I was going to say is. But suffice it to say, (sighs) a lot of bad stuff. Um, I mean, the, the... I don't know where to start. Do we start, let's start. Let's start with the on the ice stuff, and oh, then oh, hold on one second. I do okay. remember. To do that, they went over the cap. Yeah, cap <laughs> overage. Yep. Okay. Because of Michael fucking Froelich. Yeah, because they didn't know about certain bonuses and things like that. 
and also they got kind of saved by not coming back at all because if Dalene had gotten up to top ten assists among defensemen, yep, they would have to pay him like a two million dollar bonus, and they would have been way over. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so what are your thoughts on how that all went down? All right. So let's start with the on the ice stuff first for the first half of the discussion. And then let's do off the ice after because both of them warrant like significant, not even discussion. It's just criticism. It's just flat out criticism. So one of the things that I want to start off with here is Carter Hutton. And it's something that I wanted to put out there to you. And I didn't want to, I kind of wanted to get like just your, your thoughts on this because it's been going through my mind a lot since it was announced that, you know, I made that joke before that he was legally blind and we end up finding out from him that for the majority of the season, he was having an issue with his eyesight and he literally could not see or track the puck. Okay. Yeah. The thing that really kind of, not even confuses it it worries me like significantly is why wasn't this addressed earlier are people just are are they just making guys that they know are going through problems like play through that like something with like a goalie with eyesight and the reason i say that and why it intrigues like kind of makes me a little upset and worried i guess is like it kind of reminded me of like the robin lanner situation in a very different way like Robin Lanner, as we've all come to learn and find out, was dealing with some significant um, addiction and mental health issues. And thankfully, he has, you know, righted the ship and has addressed those issues and is, you know, seemingly on a path to recovery. Um, but this was going on while he was playing. Yes. And you have to think that with somebody who was going through something to that extent, you would not be able to hide it from one the people who are your coworkers who are on your team, who you are with every single day and two, your bosses who literally write your checks and like are responsible for you doing your job. Um, how is it that with Robin Lanner, again, going through intense addiction and mental health issues and with Carter Hutton, where he literally cannot see why are these guys playing? Like what, what is the, the rationale? Because you have to think that they know like Carter Hutton could not have just gone the entire season without saying something about the fact that he couldn't fucking see the puck and Robin Lehner, like, I don't care if he was trying to hide it. You clearly have to know that something is going on there. Like in that situation, you have to know. So what I want to know is, is it something where these guys are just trying to play hero but at the end of the day, that shouldn't even matter. That shouldn't even be an option for these guys to say that they want to play through it because you need to have, whether it's your coach, whether it's your general manager, or whether it is your fucking owner, tell them to get off of the ice and stop playing if they physically cannot do it. If Robin Lanner couldn't play because of the fact that he was dealing with really, really severe addiction issues, and Carter Hutton is dealing with really, really severe vision issues, they have no business stepping on the ice in the first place. And those are two very extreme cases, but it happened under the same management. Like, that's inexcusable. That doesn't happen. Yeah, you have two different coaches, but Jason Botterill is the guy who is at the helm here. It's inexcusable to me. And I want to know why more people aren't asking questions about it. Like once that was announced, I think people kind of like made a joke of it and everything, but that's like a serious thing. Like, what are the team doctors doing? Like, who are these people? Like, what are the trainers doing? What is, what is Ralph Kruger doing? Like, 
Are you kidding yeah. me that you're going to like just willingly put this guy out there when he literally is telling you that he cannot see the puck? I, I, and, and again, I mean, well, you know, it's so that he was okay. Well, right. Well, no. And, and that's what I mean is like, you just took before Taylor, probably like five plus minutes of laying out just misstep after misstep after misstep from this team. And it was without any context or without any further explanation. Like you just said in passing, oh yeah, well, Rob, or, uh, Carter Hutton couldn't see blah, blah, blah. And like on and on to the next one. The problem, like, it's one thing to have all of those issues where you can, like, stack up. Because I'm sure any franchise can do that. But when you stack them all up and you really analyze each and every one of those points that you just made, I don't know how people still have jobs. I don't know how people are being retained here still. Like, I get it that you're having money problems or whatever, but, like, figure it the fuck out. Like, you literally, your net worth is, like, whatever it is, like, $4 billion, like, you have to do something here to, to replace these people. You know, let's talk about the, 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 you know, beyond Carter Hutton, like the team itself, as we had said before, we are now in the midst of a nine year going on 10 year next year playoff drought, assuming Jason Botterill magically learns how to really do roster surgery here. You are dealing with a team that within those nine years, and especially within, we'll say like the past five, when you've had this kind of main core in place where, Management has neglected to address the main need. And I know we sound like a broken record. And I know I always say like, I sound like a broken record, but you have failed to address the main need on your team, which is scoring. You know, this, you know, this is why you lose games. You know it, no matter what, even like, I know last year they shored the defense up a little bit. And before that, it was more of an issue. Didn't matter. I don't care how bad, like scoring is the number one concern. So then you look at the moves that he makes, you know, (laughs) There's just so many layers to it because, like, the Michael Froelich trade, you bring in a guy to be a penalty kill specialist, and he sucks on the penalty kill. Again, you're bringing in these people to be on the penalty kill, but the problem is that you can't score goals in the first place. Michael Froelich is not going to move the needle for you, and if you're trading for a guy because you think that they can help, not just on special teams, on the penalty kill, like, I'm way okay if you're making a, you're taking a shot at somebody because you think they're going to help you out on the power play. I don't care about the penalty kill. Get somebody from fucking Rochester to come up and play on the penalty kill. You're fine. Like, that, or fire your assistant coach, whatever. Like, these personnel moves that need to be made aren't being addressed to, aren't being made to address the core issue, which is scoring. So then you look at just the overall management of the roster. Like you said before, with Lawrence Pilot, I, you just repeatedly are playing Zach Bogosian when objectively, this is not subjective. This is not because Sabres fans have it out for Bogosian or whatever. You saw on multiple occasions him make just complete and utter mental lapses that led to them losing games. Carter Hutton not being able to see led to them losing games led to them not being where they are right now. They were a win away. That's the one thing that we didn't mention on the night of when everything hit with COVID and all of the games were canceled, the Sabres were slated to play against the Montreal Canadiens. Had that game had happened and the Sabres won that game, you are in the playoffs. Like, you are in the 2014 tournament. So that's just one example. And like, oh, yeah, like we just missed. But going back, there are instances where you knowingly played McCabe on back-to-back nights after he had horrible games before. You knowingly played Bogosian. You do <laughs> over Lawrence Pilot, but more than that, you knowingly dressed Bogosian while you kept 11 forwards out and you made Evan Rodriguez sit in the press box. 
so that you could have seven defensemen play, one of them being Zach Bogosian, who I don't even know if that guy knows how to tie his fucking skates at this point. But you repeatedly played him over and over again. The same thing with Jake McCabe. It's the same thing with a lot of these guys. You could even look at the forwards too and say this, but it's more so with the defensemen. They were just obviously, it's not even like, it's for one, it's a numbers thing, but for all the people who don't believe in numbers and are all about the eye test, like the eye test told you that these guys were like making a negative impact on the outcome of games, not just in shifts where they make a bad play. They were making plays that were costing the team the game and you still played them. And that's on Ralph Kruger. That it's, it's also on Jason Botterill for coming into this season with pretty much exactly the same team as last year, plus yeah. a few extra bodies. You brought in Colin Miller, and then you never played him. You played Bogosian over him. You know, and then when after he actually starts to get strings of games in where you're giving him the minutes and the usage that you need to be giving him, oh, my God, Colin Miller actually looks good now. That's amazing. Then, again, going back to the forwards and everything, you have this insistence with – and, again, you don't know what Jason Botterill has to do with the, the lineup decisions, if it actually is just all Kruger, if it actually was all Housley. But you have last season where – last season and this season for the forwards is just a tale of mismanagement also because you bring in Jeff Skinner, which I will give Jason Botterill credit, was a far and away the best acquisition and move he has made as GM of the Sabres. It was awesome. It was great. It was what needed to happen. Awesome move. Great job. Bill Housley still. And I'm so glad that Jack and, and Jeff had a great chemistry last year. It was awesome. But – you knew this guy was going to be getting paid. You know the kind of player that he is. Like, you know what you're getting. Like, Jeff Skinner is a bona fide, legit top six scoring winger. You know it. He gets a little streaky at times, but if you put him in good situations, not even good, in moderate situations, he's going to be able to produce for you. But what did they do? They put him with Jack Eichel the entire year. He puts up 40 goals, which is obviously great, but then you negotiate him to an $8 million a year, or a $9 million, right? Isn't it $9 million? $9 million a year for him? I love Jeff Skinner, don't get me wrong, and I'm glad that they signed him and did whatever they had to do to sign him. But part of me really, really wonders if you couldn't have got him to get that number down more because $9 million is looking pretty high right about now. Down the line, I think, when you get a new TV market in place, you're going to see caps go up and everything over the next few years. So, you know, we still have, what, seven years left on his deal. I think once you get to, like, year four or five, I mean, like the $9 million isn't going to be as bad as it maybe looks right now. I also think that Jeff Skinner just had a bad season this past year, and I think he's going to bounce back next year and go back to kind of being like the 30 goals a year guy who he is. But you still played him with Eichel the whole year and allowed him to inflate his stats when the season was over. Like, yeah. you, you were out of the playoffs super early. You should have split them up to stifle his numbers a little bit so that he doesn't go up and puts up 40 goals and you end up having to pay him $9 million. So that's under Phil Housley. You literally then have the exact same situation happen this year with Sam Reinhart, where everyone's like, all right, well, we know Jeff and Jack work together. Let's try and separate them. Yes, that's great. But you still keep Reinhart there, who, again, was given a bridge contract, which we have since all I think can agree upon was a mistake. So that's more <laughs> mismanagement right there. Then you play him with Eichel and Victor Olison the whole year, which is great. And he looked good. He was awesome. He put up numbers this year. 
But the whole point is you have not given him enough time to go on his own and to drive a line by himself. Coming into this, into this season, the past season, there was talk about Sam trying out at second line center, which everybody has been talking about for a while because when he gets brought into the organization, they try him there and he just wasn't ready to be there, be that guy at that point. But then they just abandon it. I mean, he's a great winger. Don't get me wrong, but it still maybe was worth exploring this guy being able to be a center for you to be your second line center in the time that he has played without Jack. He's proven to you that he could drive his own line and he creates opportunities and drives play. And rather than giving him the chance to see if he can do that and he can be that guy so that you can even out your, your, your play driving a little bit and not have two legit play drivers on the same line while you only have like one other one in the rest of your lineup on the forward side of things, you just play him with Jack the whole year without actually getting to see what he could do without, without Jack. Like, and they did it the whole year. They just didn't break them up. And people kept asking, like the media kept asking Kruger about it and they, and he just wouldn't do it. And it's like, I listen, I'm all about continuity for the sake of it and, and that having that like consistency and, and further developing chemistry. But like for somebody who, when he was brought in, was, was told, we were told that he was this cap genius and he was the one who kind of got Pittsburgh's finances in order. He has not done a single thing really to me that has made me feel like he is this cap savant who everybody's talking about. Because if he was... Last season, the Phil Housley, and this season, a Ralph Kruger, Jason Botterill walks his ass down to the fucking locker room and tells Phil Housley and tells Jason or and tells Ralph Kruger, I'm your fucking boss. Split them up. Like, we have to do this. Like, take charge. And that is kind of goes into this greater issue here with Jason Botterill and why I think for myself, I know. I'm pretty sure for you, and I know a lot of other respected people, like a, a lot of respected people within the Sabres community feel this way, that the team desperately needs a president of hockey operations because yes. we've learned, one, Jason Botterill clearly is not cut out to do this on his own, where it, like the only thing, there's nothing separating him and the Pagoulas pretty much, like he needs that extra layer there. He needs somebody to tell the Pagoulas to fuck off and let them take care of the hockey stuff. Similar to what Brandon Bean has done with the Bills. And that's kind of the whole thing here is like, I think the Bills personally just like kind of lucked into Brandon Bean because of the fact that they had Sean McDermott. But yeah. like, you need somebody to do that. Like Brandon Bean is capable of doing that. Jason Botterill is clearly not capable of doing that because Kim and Terry clearly have at least somewhat of a say but they don't know what they're doing. So how are you going to let these people have their say? And Botterill just doesn't have it in him, I don't think, to be able to say, like I said, fuck off. I'm taking care of this. We're doing things my way. And, but, and the other problem with that is that I don't think Botterill even really knows what he's doing. You know, you have after like the real, like, I, I know I'm going on a tangent here. I'm wrapping up. But uh, you have like, you know, the backlash that comes out about everybody just trashing the Pagulas to the athletic. And then you have people from the Pagulas inner circle or like coming out anonymously saying, no, like we're there. Botterill doesn't have a plan. I think both are true. I think that the Pagulas don't know what they're doing. And I don't think that Botterill has a plan, but 
in spite of the fact that I don't trust them to hire the right person, I think knowing them, they would probably want to make the move if they're going to bring in a president of hockey operations of a guy who's been around for a while. And because I think they're scared right now, I think that they took a risk with Phil Housley. It didn't work out. They took a risk with Jason Botterill. It's not working out. And I mean, even Ralph Kruger is, is a risk, even though to the players that's seemingly working out considering how much they like him, but I think they're going to go with like a trusted person. And if they do that, I would have to imagine that it's going to be a guy who's going to tell them to shut the hell up and get out and let them take care of the hockey mate, like the hockey decisions. Um, I think that with Jason Botterill's contract being up at the end of this upcoming season, there is literally less than 1% of a chance in my mind that he's retained after this year, because the only way that that's going to happen is that they're making the playoffs and he's not going to be able to make the moves that they need to make to actually make that happen. I know that was a long-winded response to kind of analyzing everything, but that's kind of the point is that this is just like – it's not a matter of just saying like, oh, Botterill's done a bad job, like he made some bad trades or he made like a couple of bad signings. It's like, no, this is a deep-rooted like institutional problem within this organization that like it was – there were issues with Tim Murray and there's issues with Jason Botterill. There's issues with Bilesma. There's issues with Housley like – Something is not right over there. And to me, the end game has to be after this upcoming season, or even during, for all I know, Botterill goes. Kruger is going to move upstairs. You need to fucking clean house with your scouting department. You need to clean house with all with your both amateur and professional scouting departments, I think. Um, you need a new GM. You need a president of hockey operations. You're going to need a new coach. You are definitely going to need new assistant coaches. I'm going to probably guess that we're not going to get – like we won't get 40 games into next season without one of the assistant coaches being fired, I think. I think that – like I, I'm pretty much guaranteed of that at this point. I just think that we're just setting ourselves up for this next season. That, that Nothing's going to happen. Like maybe we'll get lucky and we'll get a top three pick and that'll be awesome. But like I don't think that there's anything – that Jason Botterill is capable of doing. I think there's moves that are out there that could be made. I don't think that Botterill has it in him to make those moves. So what you're kind of getting at there too is that there is kind of a lack of hope now. And there's not oh, that yeah. to look forward to. And I think there's like the Sabres have kind of exhausted their future talk, I guess I would say. Because every time someone is mentioned as being an important part of the future, they suck. And I think one of the last draws for Sabres fans is going to be Casey Middlestat because uh, he sucks. Like, he's a, he's bad. Like, it's, it's not ready to give up on him quite yet. I'll say that. Yeah, maybe. But I'm not very hopeful. And he was an eighth. I'm not either. Player. Yeah. But, like, I think it's hard to keep doing that. And I don't think Cousins is going to be like that, I hope. But I think it's hard for people to look at that and go, yeah, we'll have Cousins next year. And they know they won't have anything else. They know UPL won't be up next year. Unclear what they're going to do with goaltending. And besides that, their prospects – it's it's grim. Like they're good in Rochester because they have good veterans. They don't really have good prospects anywhere in the pipeline. Uh, they aside from maybe you could probably you have cousins in UPL, and then maybe there's some guys that you can kind of make an argument for. Maybe you make an argument for Eric Portillo for being a solid goalie prospect. He's looked good. Um, I mean Ryan Johnson is a first round pick, so he kind of by default has to be a guy that you have to look at as somebody. Yeah. Um, I mean, Matias Samuelson, he just signed a contract, his like entry level deal now. So we're going to see him in Rochester next year. I mean, but that's the thing though, is like, who do they have at forward beyond Dylan cousins? Right. And I mean, they've had trouble scoring at the NHL level and it seems like, I mean, we're going to have 
at least one more year of Botteril, and Botteril's whole his whole deal is out there now. It's he looks for low risk guys. He loves guys that can kill penalties, as you said, guys that can play in the bottom six, and like they have enough of those guys. Their bottom six isn't bad right now. Seventy five percent of the forwards are bottom six forwards, like legitimately. Yeah. It's crazy. They have so many of them, and like. And on the defensive side, he likes low-risk defensive defenseman kind of guys. At least that's what he's gone for in the draft. Uh, low ceiling, low floor kind of guys. But he does. But that's the problem. Well, you're right. And I, I the, the point I want to make, though, is that the pro. Uh, yeah, I know I get you. But the, the point I want to make with that is, like, those kind of guys you in drafting, like, that's a later round thing. Yeah. If, you're in, if you are at the end of the first round or in the second round, to me, like – your your odds of getting like a top tier guy. I think we all know like when you're in the top ten, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to get an NHL level guy. Maybe there's one or two guys every draft in the top ten who don't make it, but otherwise, the overwhelming majority of top ten picks usually pan out. There's always a couple every year, but whatever. You get down into the teens, then around the teens, you'll usually get maybe one or two out of that ten from like ten to twenty. We'll say like ten to twenty five. You get like one to three guys every draft who like really show up like immediately. I know this is a little bit of like a different draft because how good it is, but you think of like, you know, the Pasternak's like the uh, uh, Barzell's of the world, you know, like those guys. Then when you get into like 25 to like 60, we'll say that is where you need to swing for the fences. That's where you have to take a risk on guys like Braden points, like Nikita Kucherov's like Sebastian Ajo's, where you're swinging for the fences there with guys who are high skill players who have a very high ceiling, but maybe their floor is pretty low too. But though it's a high risk, high reward kind of deal. Yeah. You know, guys who we've brought up, like a Bobby Brink, like an Arthur Kylev, those kind of guys who you took Ryan Johnson over. Yeah. Um, and the problem with Botterill, though, is that he has a, a, a freaking movie director. What's that? He's a, he's a movie director. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. You're drafting this guy in the first round. No. But that's the kind of the thing, though, is that his draft philosophy, his team development philosophy, I guess, if you want to call it, like we've said with this, just bringing in these, like, bottom six, like, sandpaper grinder kind of guys. And then also these, like, I mean, I get it. You want to have puck-moving defensemen and everything, but also – are you really getting that? Like you're getting defensemen, which is great to have that stockpiled in your cupboard. But like, what, what is this guy's philosophy? Like, what is he basing it off of? I have no idea. <laughs> like this, this is not really what went on at Pittsburgh. Like, right. So, so let me so ask I, you this. Yeah. My, well, my question is this looking at next year, this is, I guess what the sad part is, is that, you know, you have to think about like the progression of like, who's going to be kind of like taking that next step. And like, realistically you only have one guy that like you can legitimately feel confident about. Like for me, I think that Casey Middlestat and Dylan cousins are two completely different players. I think that cousins has dominated at every single level he's played at. He dominated in his draft year. He dominated in his draft plus one year and his numbers project similar to guys who, you know, uh, there was a piece in the athletic recently that compared, it was like his numbers compared to like Ryan Johansson, Leon Dreisaitl and Sam Reinhardt. And like, that's what you like to see. Casey Middlestat really never had that kind of 
um, dominance, we'll call it, outside of the world juniors. So for Cousins to come in, also considering his frame and his style of play, for me, I think that, like, it's not getting ahead of myself and it's not unrealistic to want, like, 20 and 20 from him next year. Like, if he could be, like, a 40-point guy playing, like, we'll say, like, like 15 minutes a night, like, I think that's pretty solid, and I think you take that. Where do you kind of – I mean, but beyond that, who do you have coming up next year that you think is actually going to be able to make the team? Roostalainen, Will Borgen? Like, yeah, those guys are going to be good, like, depth guys, but who's going to actually be able to step in and do something next year? Yeah, and, and Borgen, too, like, they talked about him potentially being on the team next year, and, they're like, oh, we're very excited about him. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure you're excited about him, and that's not a response to – Lawrence Pilot unexpectedly leaving for Russia. Right. And you know what sucks so too? about him, you wouldn't be negotiating with Pilot then. Right. And the thing that sucks about that too is in a perfect world, Pilot and Borgian on your third pair are, is probably pretty nice looking like next year. Because there's like a lot of fat that you have to trim on the defense. Like you, you got to get guys out of here. I mean, I know I – I, I want to know where you stand on this too, but like this weird, like, Hey, maybe Jake McCabe isn't that bad. Cause the underlying numbers thing, like I'm not completely with that. Like, I don't think that it's worth keeping McCabe considering who he is and what we know he is. Like I don't want him for one, taking up an assistant captain spot because he's not going to be here beyond next year. Anyways, I don't think, but like if you can actually get value for him, I just, I don't care that like his underlying numbers say that he would be like a good third pair guy. Like, literally like use Will Borgian to be Jake McCabe and save $2 million. That's kind of where I'm at at least. Like I, I want Jake McCabe gone. Uh, I mean, I think he would be a solid third pair guy, but again, that's not a really hard thing to find. That's what I mean. Like he's been here through the losing. He, he he's, he's like, it's like Gergensen's or Lar- like maybe not Larson because he's a little bit more valuable, but he's more valuable than both of them. But like, I don't need these guys who have been here through all the losing. Like we know what they are and like you just need to get them out. Yeah. So I, I kind of agree with that. And I think there's a lot of trades to be made. Ristolainen, uh, Montour and McCabe probably all. Are we trading. didn't even really talk about that. Too. You didn't even like you mentioned that they didn't trade Ristolainen, but it's not that they didn't just trade Ristolainen. It's that they didn't trade Ristolainen when we know of moves that could have been made that would have significantly either one impacted the team right now, AKA Nikolaj Jellers or two significantly impacted our prospect system, AKA Cody glass with Vegas, like two just complete strikeouts that like, cause that's the thing too, is like, I've like talked to like friends about this before. Maybe you and I have even talked about it, but like that Vegas thing with Cody glass, like if that is legit, which all signs point to it being legit, like, I don't think people really, like, understand, like, what a miss that is because that's essentially getting, like, another Dylan Cousins in the system right now. Yeah, and they, they're they scared because they don't want to replace a guy who plays, like, I don't know, like 20-something minutes a night, but they shouldn't be scared of that. Actually. No. I think if you look at uh, how bad you've sucked for Rich Lyman's entire career, maybe you think about, you know, changing change with uh, regard to the guy that plays almost half the game. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe that guy's a problem. Right. Maybe the fact that at any time anyone has to play with them, it's the worst stretch of their career. You can't really explain it. Yeah, I don't. I think that value is rapidly diminishing, and I think a lot of teams probably caught on. I mean, Cody Glass, that would have been 
Fantastic. Amazing. Are you kidding me? He was the sixth overall pick like two years ago. Like, he's yeah. awesome. He's like legit. Who was in, uh, like, what, four years ago? They were offered Taylor Hall? Yep. Yeah. So and there's other names that we've that have been thrown around. Like that's, and uh, and it's worth mentioning too that it's kind of a unspoken but well known thing that like Ristolainen is a guy who Terry Pagula supposedly really likes too. I've heard that from multiple people who I trust. So, yeah. Um, so, getting to more of a bigger picture thing, we were asked when you put out a mailbag that we didn't end up doing like three months ago because we didn't have enough questions. We got one really good question from a Twitter user, Husaria, who said, who asked, uh, how can Sabres fans continue to support this team in the Pagoulas? Something that, that's not verbatim. It's a great it's, question. It is. I mean, the short answer is that, like, you already support uh, a bunch of companies that are worse. Like, just what you eat, what you wear. A lot of terrible, exploitative companies out there. The NFL. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. You already support the Bills. Like, yeah. Um, so that's the easy – yeah, I guess you could just say that. But I don't think it's that easy either because the Sabres are more than a company. They're not a shirt you're wearing or, like, food you're eating or whatever. Right. They're, like, something you put a lot of emotional labor into. And, like, I've said on here a million times with regard to the Pagoulas, these sports teams are civic institutions. They're not just businesses. They are businesses, but they're more than that. And that means something to people. And it also is an identifier. It's – I maybe the bill is more so than the Sabres, but this is how small towns or small cities or cities like Buffalo that are kind of irrelevant on the national scale kind of maintain an identity nationally. People know where Buffalo is, what Buffalo is about, partially because of these teams. So they're important. So when you look at like how things have gone with the Pagoulas as owners, obviously it's terrible on the ice. It's disgraceful. The organization's a mess. They're losing money somehow. All these things that are just like, man, they're really bad at this. Their specific job of owning the team. But there's a lot of other things going on too. And I think it did kind of come to light when they they fired all those guys this year. Uh, especially like, you know, like we said, Chris Bandera and some of those, their longtime employees that they were just out on their ass after decades of working for the team. And a lot of business people around the league uh, were kind of like, this is how you do it. I think uh, actually Larry Quinn weighed in. President. Like, this is not how you do though. This is very Ken black coming out of the woodwork to talk about. Black, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that that's not just unprofessional or bad business. It's really, I don't want to say immoral. It makes me sound like, I don't know. I'm like some church lady, but I'm not. It's a bad, they're, like, no, what they're doing is bad. I don't want to say they're bad people. What they're doing is they're really bad things. They're not treating people well. They don't treat people well at all. But isn't that, I guess, like by definition, like them being bad people because they're yeah, knowingly sure. doing this? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lack of understanding for them. What it's obviously what it's like because they're billionaires. They don't understand, and neither of them are born billionaires. They're both born into modest means. Uh, but I think it is tough. It gets tough for every year because they they're, and they're not even just the Sabres owners. They really, really have a stake in that area in the quote unquote arena district uh, where they. They own half of Labatt House. They put up 716. They built the Harbor Center. All that stuff. And it's like, they're really important around here. And I think it, they should be held to a high standard. They have a lot of money. They make a lot. Well, I shouldn't say they make a lot of money off us. They should make a lot of money off us. Uh, I don't know what's going on exactly through hard to the Sabres, but they employ a lot of people, especially, you know, low-wage workers, like wait, waitresses and cooks and stuff. So 
I don't know. I would say to someone that says they can't support the Sabres anymore because of the Pagulas, I would say, okay, I understand. Uh, that won't be most people just because people have some kind of, um, you know, emotional attachment to the team, which I do still. Yeah, obviously I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't, but I understand why people wouldn't want to. I mean, just from the perspective that it's boring a lot of the time, they lose all the time. It's frustrating. It feels like there's no payoff, but then when you feel like you're supporting something that's not good, I understand that. So yeah, I I think I didn't want to end the season this way, but it's kind of how we're ending the season. Well, I think that's the thing too. Like it's hard, man. I think that there's a lot of, I don't know if there's like a definitive answer to the question just because of how complex of a question that it is. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's, it's not the, so here's the thing, I guess where I'm at with it. It's not like it's like supporting a politician necessarily where like you're endorsing that person's ideals. Like they run an entity. Yeah. Um, and not just any entity, like you said, something that not only is integral to our region's identity, but to the people who make it up like their identity. I mean, like, like for, I, I know it's for both of us, but just like speaking from like my own personal experience, like me being a Sabres fan and like following the team, like, of course it's a part of our identity. I mean, my God, Taylor, like we host a show about the Sabres, like yeah. it's a part of us. Like the team is a part of us, you know? Um, I think that you just have so much, you know, emotional attachment from just because it's like, especially with Buffalo where, you know, we are like the, a mid-sized city and the Sabres and Bills, like you said, are kind of our connection to uh, a national audience. Um, and I think that there's just like a lot of pride that goes into that. I think there's a lot of memories that go into it. Um, there's so much in, uh, emotional and not only emotion, I mean, financial investment too, that we have made over the years. Like I know, like for, like, I've talked about it here. Like, you know, my, my family, like my dad and I have been going, my, like has, have split Sabre season tickets literally since I think like 2000, 2001. Um, you know, and even before that, like I remembered always going to games. Um, and so when you have somebody take control of this thing that is just like a part of you, it's a part of people's personal identities and a part of a region's identity. And they kind of take it and just mold it into this thing that you somehow grow to like loathe. It's really kind of conflicting because at the end of the day, like, sure, it's easy to say, like, yeah, look at the Sabres now and what the Pagulas have done to them. Like, we shouldn't support that. And, like, I get that. And I and for anybody, like, especially because I know Husaria is, like, very outspoken. I think we all are. I mean, you and I both, like, shit talk the Pagulas probably on, like, a weekly basis um, and publicly do it through, like, a podcast, you know? Like, yeah. this isn't, like, and so for anybody who says – fuck this. Like, I don't want to follow this team anymore. I don't want to support them. I don't want to give them any money. You know, I have nothing to say to that because that's completely fair. And that's every person's right. Like, I don't blame anybody who feels that way. There's a lot of times that I feel that way. Like, you know, I, like I said, like I'm a season ticket owner, but like, 
both myself, my dad and my dad's friend who all three of us are financially invested into it. Like it's amazing now that it's not even like a conversation about, you know, Oh, like the team sucks. Do we want to support them? Like we're talking about like, do you morally want to support these people who have been scam artists? Honestly, like, sure. They have invested a hell of a lot into downtown Buffalo and completely revitalized like the arena district. Like you said, like, that happening, like them coming in and like Harbor Center and everything kind of perfect, like coinciding with Canal Side and stuff. Like it was a huge transformation. And anybody who's been a lifelong uh, resident of Buffalo, like was able to kind of see that happen before our, our eyes, you know, like granted, it probably should have happened like 10 years earlier, but whatever. It's beside the point. Yeah. Um, it, it is really wild. If you, if you ever see any clips or pictures of outside during the the 07 run or the 06 run, one of those playoff runs. There's nothing there. The parking lot. It's a parking lot. Yeah. And Wald was still up then, I think, like more than a decade. Right around then, yeah. And it was, it's like there's nothing. Everyone, basically, your whole deal is you just, you go to Pearl Street. That's it. Right. Only place with any kind of beer selection in the whole city. Right. You go there and then go to the Sabres game and then you drive back to like Williamsville or wherever you're from. Right. There's nothing to do. Right. Now it's completely different. And they should be commended for that. Like, obviously, like, that is great and everything. Like, it, it is. Don't get me wrong. Like, it has improved the city. It's given us the opportunity to host the, the combine. We've hosted World Junior stuff here. We've hosted, um, you know, like, other, like, junior, like Canadian junior hockey tournaments here. Like, it's, it's great. Like, don't get me wrong. But for me, I guess it kind of goes into a, a greater point about, I, I guess, a comparison to Buffalo. You know, it's like – there's a lot of, I, I, I'm and tell me if I'm wrong with kind of like trying to mirror this, but like Buffalo, I think as we all know, has been in the spotlight for a lot of bad reasons, even recently, like the shit that's going on in the city right now yeah. with like local elected officials and everything going on, like not to get into politics or everything, but like it sucks and it's been mishandled like terribly when Colin Kaepernick came to Buffalo and people booed him for kneeing during the anthem, like that was fucking embarrassing and it's horrible. They, but there was a stand across the street from the stadium selling shirts with him and a sniper scope. Right. Exactly. So it's horrible, you yeah. know, but that I guess is kind of the thing is like, I know that. And I know that they're, you know, Buffalo is one of the most segregated cities in the country that, you know, our local politicians, a lot of them are corrupt. Um, there's a history of corruption really in Buffalo, but at the end of the day, at its core, I love Buffalo for what I see it as. And I don't see, like, I, I don't ignore those problems. I understand that Buffalo has a lot of issues, but I love being from here. Like, I'm proud to say that, like, I'm from here. And that's because of the fact that I know that, I know what the good is here. And to me, like, the good is what is at the heart of this city, not the bad. And so when you look at the Sabres, like, I don't love them and I don't follow them. I never have. And I don't think anybody does because of the owner. Like I love them for the community. Like I love them for the excitement, for that feeling when you are seeing, you know, when you would see Daniel Briere skate through the neutral zone and you kind of start to get up off your seat. When you see Jack Eichel with the, you know, lining up or Victor Olerson, like on like the respective like hash marks, like lining up to be able to just like rip one in and like that excitement, you know, I love being able to go to games and having people who I don't even know who are sitting next to you or in front of you. And you can just like start talking to them and you get along with them. And then when they score and things are great here, like it's like, you're in this like 19,000 person family, you know, 
there's just like a romanticism with it all that like makes you really like that's why you become a sports fan it's the case for anybody and to me I guess it's like that's why it's not a cut and dry answer because there's just like for as bad as the Pagulas are there's so much I guess good that it's hard to just say like, well, no, like I'm not going to do anything to support them because I, I don't know. I mean, it's tough, you know, like I know I kind of yeah. just gave that long winded thing and it's hard to kind of go back to a point after that. But do you see what I'm saying? Like there's just so many yeah, levels. Oh, with yeah. it. It's, uh, it really is. And, and like, I mean, look, from my perspective, I don't really support them that much because I kind of bum tickets. I don't ever buy tickets for games. Yeah. There's a couple of people that give me tickets, including you. Uh, so I don't really ever do that. And I, I mean, I guess I buy beer occasionally when I'm there. I don't really buy merch. Uh, I watch on TV, which I guess is its own way of supporting quote unquote. You got to start, join the illegal streaming game, man. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should. Honestly. Yeah. But it, either way, it's just, uh, I don't like, it's weird. Cause like I buy multiple bills tickets a year. Mm-hmm. It's expensive. It's the same thing, you know? And it's like, <laughs> But that's the thing. That's the one point that I wanted to make, though, with the Bills. It's not even like you're still supporting them if you support the Bills. Like, the NFL is fucking terrible. Like, Roger Goodell is a bad person. Like, the people who run the NFL are bad people. And, like, you know, are you going to still, like, also, like, are you going to continue to watch NFL games because – like then it's saying that you support like a, like a, uh, an organization that was harsher on Colin Kaepernick for peacefully protesting than they were on Ray Rice for beating the shit out of his wife or like the countless other people who have gotten into like, who have done terrible things that the NFL is just kind of like meh about, you know? Yeah. And so that's why it's tough is because yeah. it's like you said before at, th- at the top of that, like there's so much that like if you really got down to it and you wanted to remove everything from your life that shitty people are in charge of that you still love, then there's not going to be a whole lot left. Yep. Anyway, we want to end with like a pick me up kind of thing. Sure. Well, one thing I just, I, before we do though, I just like the last thing I'll say on this is just that, um, I think that when considering, you know, all of this, I think that it's more so, I think if you want to completely stop supporting the Sabres and stop watching the Bills and all of that, like you aren't going to get any complaints from me, and I totally understand that, and I get that. Um, I think that for a lot of people, though, rather than just like completely giving it up, I think that, at least in my opinion, and like I could totally be wrong about this, because like I said, like I'm also like there's times where I'm like, screw this, I never want to support them ever again. But I think that it's more important, though, that people, if you are still going to watch the games or support the team or whatever, like, you still have to speak up about this stuff. And you have to acknowledge the fact that it's wrong. And you have to understand the fact that it's wrong rather than just, like, turning a blind eye. Because I think there's a difference between somebody who's just like, I don't care about the Pagulas, whatever. They do whatever they want. They have their money. They can spend it however they want. There's a difference between that and the conversation we're having where we're talking about like morals and stuff and like understanding that these are like fucked up people who have done fucked up things. Yes. Yep. It's yeah. uh it's, it's not a fun situation for us. I mean, where do you, what do you think about like as a whole, like about who Syria's, I guess, question, like, do you think it's as cut and dry as no, you know? it's no, it's absolutely not. And I think 
part of this too is the Pagouls aren't going to stop being rich. Right. Maybe. Hopefully not. Or hopefully they do. I also think Rihanna. Rihanna's got to buy the Sabers. The new the petition that's going around right now. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, I wonder if she has the money for that. Maybe. I bet she would. I don't know what kind of money the Sabers would go for, but yeah, I think in general there's a lot of questions regarding this. Like a, a good topic. I don't want to make the comparison to the Sabers, but climate change. Right. And individual choice versus what you can actually, what an individual could actually do to stop this these large kind of entity or phenomenon uh not much honestly but it's like i said before it's really that's your a choice. really really great analogy by the way that's a very good point because oh. you could try and be hard on yourself and say like well no we need to stop this but like at the end of the day it's like the higher powers that are going to be the ones responsible for any yeah. kind of significant change it's not your choice yeah right but with the sabers you can say i don't want my money going towards this. all kinds of stuff like that. I get it. So yeah, I, my point is, I think if you feel that way, if you feel like you don't want to anymore, then don't, and if you're not getting joy out of it, maybe you don't do that either then anymore. Maybe you watch less, maybe you try to, I don't know. I think maybe people you know, are like us and they hate watch them. Yeah. Whatever it looks like. to you and Bill hop. Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I look through my time hop, uh, like there's a lot of Sabres anger and it goes back a long way. All the way back, back to like Facebook folks in 2012, maybe further, but it started out with a lot of like rah, 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 very upset, freaking out. And then kind of some optimism, I guess, around the tank. And then for like five years now, a lot of like cutting, like sarcasm, I guess you'd right. say snark. I hate that fucking word. But, uh, you know, just kind of like a, a, a detached irony to keep your, yeah. keep like, a level. So like at first you're like, you look insane after, at like after your 10th Facebook status about how, oh, Derek Rice soft and all this other stuff. Like you, you step away from it and you're like, what is this? This isn't helpful. This isn't good for anyone. And, but then like this looking at like four years and hundreds of tweets being like, Oh cool. I guess we're just not going to see Lawrence pilot tonight or shit like that. That like, that does get old too. Just oh, speaking yeah. for myself, my own tweets, I'm pretty sick of them. Um, but I think it just, we need to get to a point where there's some at least kind of positive momentum regarding them. But back to the original, I guess, point, if you're feeling like that, and maybe you feel like, I don't know if this is even worth it, but maybe it's not. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I guess what I would say is there's no real defending um, supporting the Pagulas, but that doesn't mean that you won't do it anyway or that you shouldn't, you know, just because you don't have a good defense for it, I guess. Uh, because maybe your defense is just like, this is who I am. I, I do, maybe I don't want to deprive myself of one of my joys. I work 50 hours a week. I got a well, kid. I got it. This is my, this is one of my only joys. So maybe you don't want to deprive yourself of that. And you that know, makes, that's what I'm going to do. Well, that's a great point. And I was actually speaking of analogies. Another one that I think can kind of apply here is like with JK Rowling and Harry Potter. She's been coming under fire just consistently for how like stupid she is whenever like, like she talks about uh, social issues. Most recently it's regarding transgender people. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, you have the person who's responsible for this, who's doing something really, really bad. Do I want to let that completely ruin this for me? Or do I want to focus on Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson, who are key parts of this also, who are speaking out or on the good side of things? And it's like, well, I want to support them. And so I yeah. guess it's like, how do you balance that? Cause I think that is kind of an interesting parallel. It's the same thing. Like you said, with climate change, it's similar to this. It's like, yeah, like obviously you have to hold people accountable at the top, but like there's other components of, I guess, 
like you said, like personal fulfillment and emotional attachment. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good question though. Um, Let us know what you think too. I, that's yeah. actually, if you're listening right now, you know, I think that this is a discussion that is not cut and dry where you can just kind of have it one time. I mean, Taylor and I are talking about this right now, but God, how many times have we talked about it during the season and how many times are we going to talk about it next season? You know, like yeah. it's going to continue to be a thing. And so yeah. if you're listening right now, please tweet at us um, and let us know your thoughts. Like we really want to hear what everybody thinks about this because, you know, I think there's a lot of valuable opinions out there and I think a lot of people may see it in different light. Um, but I'm curious to hear what you think. So make sure to tweet at us at Blue and Goldcast. Yeah. So another thing, and this is kind of what I think, I've been feeling also about them with their actual ability to manage a franchise is so I had a tweet a couple weeks ago and I think it was, it was about pilot. Maybe it was when it was, he was rumored to leave just before he actually left. And I said, I kind of joked in a quote tweet that ruining a franchise isn't one thing. It's a million little things, which is a quote. It's not actually about that. It's a friendship. Isn't just one thing. It's a million little things, which is a hit show on NBC. That is my God, terrible. But, uh, Call a million little things. But anyway, that was my point. <laughs> the point was there's so many things they do that it's hard to point to something. I guess it's it's kind of lazy to just be like, they're bad at it. But that's kind of the the long and short of it. And the people they hire are bad at it more than anything. They're they're bad at recognizing who should be running what uh, in regards to the hockey team. So one of the things I always think about is like post Darcy getting fired, okay, in fall of twenty thirteen. They Corey Trop got put on waivers and they lost him. Columbus picked him up. Corey Trop was not a star or even a good player, but that's not a good way to handle things. No, I'm also like, very pro yeah. Corey Trop too. I should yeah, say, yeah, he was and he was a solid NHL player. You could oh, always yeah. use solid players, especially when they're as terrible as they were. But more than that, if they didn't want him in the position they were in, they couldn't just put him back in Rochester without him going to waivers. So you trade him, and you only get a fourth round pick for that, right? So the fourth round pick never plays. You gave it a shot. At some point, you're going to draft a dart. It's a dart to throw at the wall. And they just did something like that like 2,000 times. You know, like we talk about Ristolainen and there's been a huge delay with that trade. And we talked about it for years. But look at, look at Evander Kane. People wanted to trade him a whole year before he got traded when he had like a year and a half left on his deal. He was hot. He's like, you don't want to sign this guy long term. He's troubled off the ice. Different things like that. And what happens when they trade him? They trade him for. For oh, it turns into a first round pick. Luckily, yeah. turns into the first. Daniel Reagan. Is that it? Was that, I think that's Did it. Get a goalie prospect too, or something, or maybe like yeah. another like lower level guy. Like I don't know. Guys that never played. And that first round pick we turned into Brandon Montour, right? Yeah, that Brandon Montour. And Gouley traded that and Gouley for Brandon Montour. Now Brandon Montour might be on his way out. Or if he's not, he's also not particularly helpful. It's just little things like that, they just they just add up. And they keep adding up. And it's lineup decisions. It's not trading a guy. It's handling a guy poorly. It's bringing up Grigorenko in his first year when he shouldn't. It's picking Casey out of college a year early. It's all of these Playing things. him the entire year in the NHL after two. He could have played in Rochester. Like it's It's not pushing for, like, Robert Thomas and getting Tage Thompson instead. It's yep. – Whatever the really tr- and honestly, but not a little thing. It's a big. You thing. could honestly probably say that that's like not even trading O'Reilly is his biggest mistake. Like, if that deal actually was Robert Thomas instead of Tage Thompson, I mean, I've, this is obvious, but like 
everybody's feeling a lot different about that trade. I would, I honestly, like it would hurt and maybe St. Louis wins a cup. Maybe they don't, but like either way, if you, if we had Robert Thomas instead, like It'd be different, yeah. feel a lot different. And that's a great point, but that's like, to your point, like that's just a little thing that you could have done. Like, and, and also too, the other part of it, is evaluation in terms of like with the Ristolainen trades going back to that, you and I both, I know I've heard from people, obviously we're not going to say names that the breaking point was like a fourth round pick or like yeah. a third. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I mean, like that's just like inexcusable. That's malpractice. Like, ugh. yeah, yeah. It's pretty bad. Anyway, what was that bright spot you were talking about? What's, I have a quiz. Uh, so someone pointed out on Twitter recently that this is the first time ever the Toronto Maple Leafs have extended their season into June. Never wow. happened before. And it, obviously they're not going to play a game in June because the season definitely won't start till at least July, probably late July. So they still won't have played a game in June. But that made me think, like, if the Sabres are in it, they'd be playing in June for, or be around in June for the first time since – I thought originally 99, and I forgot that game seven against Carolina was on June 1st, 2006, because I'm an idiot. Oh, okay. But anyway, so I went what I, to what I thought was their last June game, which is game six of the 1999 Stanley Cup 21 years ago. Uh, just recently, right, right now, it's, it was, it'd be happening right now 21 years ago. I, think, I don't think we passed the anniversary yet. But I thought a fun quiz idea would be, who were the 19 people that dressed that night for the Sabres? 20, obviously, as backup goalie, but 19 people that played. Okay. Yeah. Were the 99 Sabres against the Dallas Stars? In game six. Who was on the ice for them? All right. Uh, Dominic Hasek. He played all 114 minutes and 49 seconds of that one. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Michael Pekka? He was the highest uh, ice time total for forward, 35 minutes, 42 seconds. Richard Schmelick. Correct. He, let's see, how much did he play? He played a lot. He played 44 minutes and 44 seconds. Wow. Uh, Lexi Zitnik. He was the highest uh, time of any skater, 46 minutes and five seconds. Wow. How about, uh, God, let's just throw some names off. Michael Grosick? He did not. Did oh. Not. Uh, Brian Holzinger. Yes. He played 25 minutes, 38 seconds. All right. Um, who else? Curtis Brown? Yes, Curtis Brown, 26 minutes, 13 seconds. Uh, Vaclav Varada. That's correct. 30 minutes, 45 seconds. How about Chris Gratton? No. Ooh. Uh, let's see here. Who am I missing on forward here? Miroslav Shatan? Correct. 30 minutes, 22 seconds. Um, how many more do I have? Quite a few. Let's see. You got some defensemen here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. With 11 guys left. All right. Um, let's see. Let's try and think of some forwards. How many? What's the breakdown of forwards to defensemen? Um, one, two, three. You only have one defenseman right now, don't you? 
No, I have two. I had uh, Zitnik and Schmelik. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're correct. Um, so, so four defensemen. Four, four defensemen left and the rest are forwards. All right. Who are we – who do we got the D-wise? Um, if you have any hints you want to throw at me, let me know because I bet I'm probably missing some pretty obvious people. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Stu Barnes. Stu Barnes, yes. 24 minutes, 47 seconds. Nice. Uh, okay. the, lowest, the lowest ice time guy it was a guy that's still with the organization. Side note, is James Patrick on this list? James Patrick is. 31 minutes, 17 seconds. Um, let's see. Wait, he – how – oh, he's still with the organization. So, side, is Rob Ray on this list? No. What? He was scratched for most of the cup. Most of the playoffs in general. Barnaby? Barnaby, no. Uh, Barnaby wasn't on the team at that point, was he? Oh, yeah, maybe not. You're right. Um, who the hell would still be with the organization? Um, well, forgetting that one, you have a couple of guys left, especially defensemen. Some, I would say one fairly obvious one. Um. Ooh, I might have some forwards actually. Okay, Eric Rasmussen. Correct. Twenty-seven minutes and two seconds. How about Wayne Primo? Is he on there? Yes, thirty minutes exactly. Cool. Um, I might be a year too early with this, but is Grand Luke Jean Pierre on this team? No. Okay. It's next year. I believe you were a year too early. Yeah. Uh. Oh, I know who – wait, is uh, Randy Cunningworth? Yes. Cool. 24 minutes, 11 seconds. Uh, how about Jeff Sanderson? He's on this team. Yes. 21, 26 minutes, 19 seconds. Um, Jay McKee. Jay McKee, 39 minutes and 49 seconds. How many more do I got? I got to be close now. Yeah, you have four guys left. Oh, God. Anything obvious that I made? Is Donald Audette? No. Audette was uh, – this is – between his two eras, you were missing a pretty obvious one. A guy who had a pretty big playoffs. Pretty obvious one. Oh God, Taylor. Um, who the hell? A forward who had a really good playoffs? No. Ooh. Is the backup goalie Dwayne Rollison? By the way. I don't know. I didn't write down the backup goalie, oh. honestly. Just How about Derek Plant? Is he on that? Did I no. say him? Too no. late for Derek Plant. Too late? Really? Oh. Yeah. Who the hell? Is Daryl Shannon one of the defensemen? Daryl Shannon is. He played 33 minutes exactly. That's not like the high-scoring defenseman? No. How about Joe Juno? Yes. 27 minutes, 11 seconds. Cool. You, miss, you have two guys that are right next to each other in terms of minutes played. Do you have anything you can give me? Who was the leading scorer in the playoffs? What? I don't. Who did I not say? I said Shatan. I said Jeff Sanderson. I said uh, Pekka. Who the and Barnes? Uh. 
Is it two defensemen I have left? Uh, yes. Is it Jason Woolley and Rhett Warner? Yes, on Woolley, their playoff leading scorer. Right, right. No, I don't know where Rhett Warner was. I guess he wasn't on the team yet. But yeah, so it's just looking right now, making sure you have all. Oh my God. Oh, wait. No, actually, you, know, you've, you have one guy left. It's a forward, not a defenseman. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know where Rhett Warner was. That's a great question. Maybe he wasn't up yet. Maybe he was like, next year he came up. Who the Possible. F- Damn, dude. Who is this forward? Um, can you tell me what other teams they played for? Yes, one second. Actually, Rhett Warner was on this team, and he must have been hurt. Oh, okay. Or scratched, I don't know. Okay, let me look up the teams this guy played for. This guy, you'll know him. I do know who it is. Like, It's not like a random name that I'm not going to no, 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 no. This guy was a veteran at this time. He started out in Vancouver, was traded to the Kings, played for Toronto, then Buffalo for five years. And uh, he played there again the next year. And then he went to Boston, took a year off, and then went to the Rangers. I don't know if he, he just didn't play or in you know, 102 or what. But, yeah, he was uh, okay, I guess. He had his second most points that year, four, or third most points, he had 44 points. He had his career high in points as a rookie, 52. Hmm. Does this guy have a very, we'll call it common last name? Common-ish, not too common. There are NH, there are NHL players or have been NHL players with this guy's last name. I assume, but I don't. I couldn't name any off the top of my head. Is it Dixon Ward? It's Dixon Ward. Yeah, because there's a thing of Joel Ward. That's yeah. Oh, cool. Wow. Oh, Joel Ward. Yeah, I guess I do know one off the top of my head. Damn. All right. Cool. Yeah, so that was oh, fun. Man. Yeah, what a team. <laughs> I know. What a Stanley a lot Cup. of names. <laughs> yeah, seriously, Stanley Cup runner-up. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what happened to Rhett Warner. I was looking at their, their uh, lineup. I wonder if he kind of got the shaft because uh, some of the guys like they brought in. That's a good question, actually. Although he was one of the guys they brought in. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, no Rob Ray, it looks like. I, I would guess Juno kind of pushed Rob Ray out of the lineup. Right, right, Joe Juno, yeah. Yeah. But also, having just read that, you know, you having just named everyone on the team, you want to listen to who played for Dallas that night? Yeah, can I try some names? Yeah. All right. Well, can you name – how many of the Hall of Famers can you name? I could probably get through a good amount of them on here. I mean, Brett Hall, Mike Madonna. Yep. Uh, Darian Hatcher. Yeah, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but he's on the team. But yeah, Eddie Belfour. Yeah, so he's a Hall of Famer. Uh – no, Jamie Langenbrunner was on the Devils still at this point. No, you're no. Oh, he is on there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, Jamie Langenbrunner, uh, Sergey Zubov. Yep, Hall of Famer. Um. Oh, there's another defenseman I know. Uh, how many more like Hall of Famers are there, or like big name guys? Well, you're missing a Hall of Famer. Forward or defenseman? Forward. He was old, so you might not even remember he played for him. Um, who the hell else would have been on that team? Is it a foreign 
No. No. Well, <laughs> foreign to us. Who is it? Guy Carboneau. Oh, okay. Yeah. 38. I think it was this last year. Any, but yeah, other, they had... any other bigger names on there? Or? Yuri Lettinen. Yuri Lettinen. Yeah. Wow. Carol Fedor, Joe Newendike. Newendike. That's who I was thinking of before. Yeah. God damn. Patrick Beek. Another long name guy. Yeah. So, any other good defensemen on that team? Defensemen? I mean, they had Zubov, Hatcher. Besides those two. They're, I don't know why I was thinking of another defenseman, too. Uh, wow, Joe Newendike. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if any of these, these other guys are – like, the rest of the team is uh, – let's see. Mike Kane, Sean Chambers, Dave Reed, Benoit Hogue, Craig Ludwig, Blake Sloan, and Brian Scrub- Scrubland. Yeah, I wouldn't – yeah, that's – just looking at Saber skaters, like leaving Hashik out of the discussion, are Zubov, Hatcher, Madano, Letnin, Langenbrunner, Newendike, Carbonell, Repeak, Hall, all better than every Saber skater? Like that entire list of guys? Maybe not at that point, but. I was going to say, I mean, Michael Pekka did win a Selkie. Yeah, yeah, Pekka was good. Pekka Fair was enough. good. I mean,. If you do the top uh, ten skaters, not a Hall of Famer. Like I don't know. Yeah, I guess. If you do the top ten skaters from those two teams. Like yeah, at that point, Dee Carbonell was a little old. So yeah, about that. But like, if you do the top ten list, it would be like Pekka and maybe Shatan around ten, right? Oh yeah, I mean you have Madonna and Brett. Hall. I mean Madonna, Brett Hall, Zubov, and Hatcher are better than every player on that team for sure. I mean. <laughs> Pat Verbeek was like legit. Verbeek, yeah, yeah. Dude, how, a perfect way to end this show, as we should end every single show, is a reminder that Dominic Hasek is the best goalie to ever play the game. Yes. Also, no doubt. Verbeek had 500 goals, which is crazy. I didn't know that. Holy Jesus. Yeah, 500 goals and 500 assists. That's wild. That's impressive. Yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, Hashik's the GOAT. What, what did we learn this year? Hashik's the GOAT. Trade Risto. Invent the time machine in under July 1st, 2007. So all the things we've been saying for like the past like five years then pretty much? Yeah. That's how long we've been doing this podcast. All three of those things I feel like we have said several times over the years. So. Yeah. Those are the real lessons we want you guys to take away. Uh, anyway, that's pretty oh, much it. Gonna... Oh, go ahead. You'll hear from us again whenever something happens. I was going to say, I feel like we could. Pro- it's probably a safe bet our next episode will be after the draft lottery because that's only in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, you know what? That'll, yeah, that's yeah we, should, we should do a draft episode, and maybe we can even shoot a message to our, uh, our friend and former guest on the show, Chris Baker, and see if he'd want to come on. Yeah, not a bad idea. I definitely am excited to start talking prospects. I've been, I've been diving in a lot more to the uh, to the draft and stuff as of late, and so I'm I'm very much excited about it. In which one point that I guess we could use as like a segue, but I think no matter what, I am pretty strongly against the idea of the Sabers trading their pick this year, unless you're getting like Johnny Goudreau back or something like that, or like Timo Meyer. I don't think that they should trade it. I just think that there's some really, really, really good high-end forward talent that the system has been desperately been lacking. And unless you know you are getting like a legit 60-point guy back in return who is still in, like under team control, I don't think that you should trade the pick. All right. 
So we'll More see on that soon. Yes. Segway or that's a teaser for the next episode. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun. So like we said, we'll be back probably for uh, a post draft lottery episode. Uh, but in the meantime, make sure you are following the hockey podcast network, uh, on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. check out the web, their website, the hockeypodcastnetwork.com. And if you want to hear some a plus commentary from, uh, teams who are still playing, be sure to check out any of our sister shows. Uh, there are 24 podcasts that are going to still be alive and kicking over the next few weeks, uh, as things start to ramp up and we progress towards the, uh, the, the, the expanded playoff coming back. So be sure to check those out. Uh, and yeah, thank you all so much for listening. As always, we're excited to, you know, even though we're going to be coming to you less frequently, we're still excited to have some good episodes coming out this summer. So uh, without further ado, I think it's time for our random Sabres player of the episode. Would you agree, Taylor? I agree. All right. Well, thank you again, everybody. And our random Sabres player of the episode, we are each going to share with you now in three, Two, one, Rat Warner. <laughs>